Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. Seeking out people that I wanted information from that I whose opinion I valued and then getting that opinion and then executing. That's the key, right? Executing. I can talk to you till I'm blue in the face. I can tell you everything you need to do to build your business and to scale, but it all just sits there until you pick it up and do something with it. And so I'm really good at execution. That I can do. That that I've always sort of had that skill set. And it's it's a skill set of action. It's not a skill set of learning. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it, guys. I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that you're checking out another live uh, replay. It seems weird to say live replay. A replay of a live Q&A that I do every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, where I answer all of your real estate questions. You can log in on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, whatever you want to log into. Uh, I am there on Wednesdays answering your questions. And I think uh, not only should you be there asking questions, questions, but you can also ask follow-up questions and we can have a real conversation, which is pretty cool. And I enjoy doing that. So if you're not there live in the past, you can be there live in the future. So go check that out. This was a really fun one, a really good one. Uh, We talked about a lot of stuff, uh, but among them, uh, when is the best time to make cold calls? What time of the day traditionally is the most effective and the most successful to make cold calls. We talked about that. Uh, We talked about how to scale your business, what I did specifically when I scaled my business, things that I would do over again, if I would do differently if I could do it over again. So we talked about that, lessons learned on scaling a business, which I think is huge and important. And you should be asking people who have scaled their business what they did right and what they might do differently. And that was a, a topic of discussion. And we also talked about working with wholesalers. And the question I got was, how do you identify trustworthy wholesalers? And um, it was a fun one. It was interesting. As a wholesaler, it's a it's a fun and interesting question for me to answer because there are some things to look out for and there's some things you should be worried about when you're dealing with wholesalers. So we talk about that and some other things too, guys. This is a fun one. So I hope you enjoy it. I give you my latest live Q&A. All right. 
welcome back. I appreciate you being back to my live guys. Um, uh, I have been traveling uh, a little bit here, so it's good to be back in in studio here and uh, talking to all of you. Uh, hopefully, you're sending in your questions to me via email and Instagram and all that stuff. And uh, best of all, to be on here live. So if you're listening to this afterward on the replay, um, get here live. I think there's value in that. Is value in, in asking me a question, letting me answer it, and then having a follow-up question if there's a follow-up question. So this is the place to be on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. I am here to answer all your real estate questions, guys, and uh, I love doing it. So you should log on. If you haven't already gotten your free uh, mini course that I created around direct mail, you should go and grab that. It's on my website. You can go to mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, or uh, you can just go to my website, mikesimmons.com, and there's a link right there on the front page where you can download that course. Uh, it's a very quick listen, but it's comprehensive. I've put everything in there that I've learned over the last six, seven years of spending over a million dollars on direct mail and uh, generating a hundred or so leads every year for the last six or seven years in a row. So most of those leads, most of them were generated with direct mail. I do a lot of different kind of marketing, but direct mail historically has always brought me the most deals. And when you spend a million dollars on postcards that are 35 cents each, that's a lot of postcards, a lot of learning, a lot of uh, A-B testing and just testing out different creatives and you know, do logos work? Do they not work? Should I put a picture on there? Should I not? What should my name be? What color should the card be? All those things. I cover it in this mini course and it's free. So at the very least, go and grab it, download the course, get in there and take a look when you have time, but go and grab it. I can't say that it will be free forever. I can't say it'll be available forever. Uh, I don't have any plans on taking it down, but listen, who knows, right? So go and grab it before uh, anything should happen and you don't have the access to it for whatever reason. Um, but go and grab that because I think it's valuable for your business. And we are uh, moving into a new market. And the market cycles kind of always, you know, they always change. They always go up and down. You're in a seller's market, then you're in a buyer's market, then you're in a seller's market. And there's transition periods and things that happen. And it's really helpful to have your marketing dialed in, in the market that you're in right now. And the market that we're going into is going to be really dependent on really good marketing. And so you should go and grab that course because it's free and I made it for you. And it's just very, very valuable, even though I'm not charging you for it. Don't be fooled. I should be charging you. I should be charging you a lot, but I really want to get this in your hands so you can blow your business up. There's still time, guys, by the way. it's, it's As we record this, it's July 2022 and uh, we're, we're changing. There's a new market kind of shift happening in real estate but there's more than enough time this year and you really should be getting in there now and trying to build your business. And we maybe we'll talk about that a little bit in this episode, um, but go and grab that course. All right, let us dive into the questions for this week. You know, these come to me, like I said, through various means, direct mail, email. Um, sometimes you guys are on here live and, uh, and we get these questions, but uh, Angela in the background, I'm ready for the first question. All right, here we go. Good deal. Uh, I am okay. Question is, I am part of a wholesaling team and we have a VA making cold calls several hours a day. Do you have any recommendations on optimum times to call to maximize connections and leads? Um, it, the best thing you can do is, um, 
as you're doing this several hours a day, you really should be documenting and in, in your software that you're using, whether you're using Zen call or Mojo dial or something else, it should tell you, it should give you feedback and analytics on the time of day when you're getting through the most, when the most calls are going through. So the best answer is go back to your software analytics and figure out in your case, in your business, when is the best time to call. But traditionally, uh, we always find that the best time to get a hold of the of our clients or the people that we're trying to reach is in the afternoon, like between between like noon and four, like that part of the afternoon. That has always been the best time for us. Uh, might seem a little counterintuitive because people are typically working between noon and four, but most of the folks that we're buying from, most of the sellers that we're buying from are not, um, they're not working anymore. They're A lot of them are retired. We're, we're talking to a lot of older folks. So uh, we're getting them in the early afternoon, like after lunch, before dinner timeframe. That seems to be the best time for us to reach people in my business historically. So I don't know where you are and exactly what your message is or how, you know, you're doing cold calling. I get that. But I mean, are you calling um, people who have inheritance or, you know, people who just had a death in the family, something like that? Like it could be a little different. I don't, I don't call out to that kind of a list. Mine is mostly equity or niche kind of stuff like um, code violations and, and delinquent um, taxes and all that kind of stuff. We typically find um, early uh, to mid afternoon is really the best time for us that, that one to four noon to four time frame works the best for us. So I would say at the very least, make sure that you're making calls, but you're telling me that you're making several, uh, for several hours, you're making cold calls every day, several hours. I, I hope you're not doing it from 3 a.m. to 9 a.m. That would be a huge mistake. Uh, but if you're going to have to pick the top four or the peak four hours, uh, we always find that like noon to four is really our peak call uh, time. That's when we're getting a hold of those people. And Frankly, that's when people call us too. So that's when we receive the most calls. So that's when all the call volume is happening. And we we do use the the analytics and the data from um, from the phone services that we use. We do a lot. We get a lot of inbound calls. Like that's more my business. Inbound calls um, as opposed to outbound calls. We've done outbound calls, but inbound has been traditionally uh, what we're getting. And when we look back, we use CallRail, or we used to use CallRail. We're now integrated with our CRM, but we used CallRail and you could just download that stuff. You could just, there were reports that you could run that would show you peak volume, peak call volume times of the day. And for us, it was always like noon to four in that range. And if I had to zero in even more, I would say like one to three, like that's really when we got the most calls. Very few calls came after six or seven and very few came before 10. You know, it would start getting a little bit ramping up a little bit around 10 a.m. It would peak somewhere in the early afternoon and then start, you know, going down from there. And after six or seven, we just didn't get many calls. Very few stragglers. Right. So if that's when people are calling and I'm talking about like over the years, thousands of calls. So. If that's when people are calling, then it stands to reason to me that that's when they're available. And that's when I would be calling out if I was going to um, launch an out, outbound call campaign. I would do it in the 
early to mid afternoon would be when I would make sure. I really think you should be calling if you're doing it several hours a day, like maybe start around 10 and around five or six. Like those are the hours. If I was going to say like a whole day, what I what I would want you to do, that would be it. But if you don't have that many hours available or your VAs are not working that many hours, I would keep it noon to four probably would be the peak times that I would say you should be calling on the phone. Okay, let's go to the next question, please. All right. Next questions. What were your first steps when you decided to scale your business? If you had to do it over again, is there anything you would change? Yeah, there's a lot I would change um, because, you know, what I always tell people is, is, you know, use other people's hindsight as your foresight. So as we're going through these Q and A's, really what you're doing, you're asking questions, I'm giving you answers, but you're asking me to look back at what I've, you know, if I, you know, what I know now, what would be my advice to you on on certain things? And so this is no exception, right? What would I do if I was going to scale my business over again? Let's start with what I wouldn't do. And I can kind of give you some lessons learned and some things that I, I did poorly, even though I was scaling and I did scale, things that cost me money that shouldn't have or cost me time that I really should have been able to avoid or, or I would avoid now. One thing that I did uh, poorly is... You have to, when you're going to scale, generally speaking, you're going to need to build your team. Okay. And so we could talk about that. But when I built my team originally, I didn't put enough effort into, and I didn't take seriously enough the training aspect, the leading, being a leader, being a manager. I, I wasn't good at that. And when I got started, it was just me. And, and so I knew what I could do and I push myself and I have high expectations for myself. And then I eventually brought in a partner and we partnered in my business and he has the same kind of drive and tenacity and, and impatience or, you know, pace that I have in, in my, the way I work. And so we both worked our butt off and we worked hard and we, we expected a lot of ourselves and we took on a lot. And so we kind of got this feeling that that was normal. That was what everyone did. And the fact of the matter is I was incentivized and I am incentivized because it's my business. And my partner was incentivized and is incentivized because it's his business. But you, when you bring in people, when you hire them, you can't expect them to be incentivized the same way you are. Because if our business does, you know, makes a million dollars, all of our employees don't see all that money, right? They see what they get paid and their commissions. And if we if we give them bonuses or whatever we do, right? Like they're going to make money, but they don't, it, you know, if our company goes from making 1 million to 10 million, they don't necessarily become millionaires overnight. Like my partner and I might realize a lot of that profit, but everyone doesn't. And so you have to, what I had to realize was, and what I did wrong was, I would hire people, I would give them way too much responsibility, way too fast, with virtually no instruction and no management, no oversight. And I'm not, I'm still not a micromanager by nature, <clears throat> but I, I was taking for granted two things. I was taking for granted um, that they were motivated, incentivized, like I was, and I took for granted that they had the capacity to do everything I wanted them to do. I just assumed if I can do it or if my partner can do it, <clears throat> anyone can do it. And that's not necessarily true. Not everyone is, is bought into 
like burning the midnight oil and 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 working several you know more than eight ten hours a day like we were just dumping work on people and we were like kind of turning and burning our our employees meaning we would give them a ton of responsibility we would have super high expectations right out of the gate if they didn't perform we'd fire them and move on to the next person like we were very unforgiving and there was a lot of turnover in our company for a year or two while we were kind of figuring out how to lead people because before that it was just me and then it was me and my partner it was the two of us running the business running everything so when we started bringing people in we would just give them responsibility and like go there you go and like kind of throwing them into the deep end without any level of training or ramp up or we weren't even giving great feedback necessarily we were just like very numbers driven like we bring in a salesperson we would say, we're going to put you, you know, give you 10 appointments. We expect you to get three contracts. And at the end of the month, if you don't have 12 contracts, you're fired. It was sort of that mentality, right? It wasn't exactly that cut and dry, but it was pretty close. And if they didn't hit the numbers, we would sort of like go, hey, what's going on? What's your problem? Right? Kind of an attitude. It was really, really a, a kind of a, abrupt and a little bit of a, a little bit aggressive. And uh, if they didn't hit it again the next month or in the next few weeks, it's like, all right, you're gone next person. And what we had to realize was, A, there needs to be some sort of ramp up. We need to have, we need to manage our expectations a little bit. Even if you bring somebody into your company who's a rock star, it's still a different environment. It's it's slightly different mechanics. And when it comes to sales, you know, the person that I hired with or that I um, partnered with, I first hired. He was He was an employee of mine. He was a salesperson. And I brought him in and I didn't give him a lot of instruction. And he just sort of went out there and, and he just made it happen. And and I just thought, okay, that's how everyone works when you bring them in. You just give them give them their marching orders and and they perform and they knock it out of the park. And what I realized was the that person who I brought in, that salesperson who I later partnered with, was just sort of an exception. He was an outlier. <clears throat> he had the capacity to be with very little instruction to go and, and get the job done. But we have found when hiring uh, sales people over the years, that is not the case of every salesperson. Um, some people need just a little bit more time. They need just a little bit more ramping up period and they need feedback and they need better expectations and maybe like a stepped plan of how they're going to get to where, where we want them to go. So we had to learn to be better leaders. So that's one thing I would do differently is I would be a better leader right off the bat. I would take that part of the, of, of my, you know, my job or that my company more seriously, but what would I do? Uh, what were my first steps is what you asked me in the first part of the question. Um, my first steps were to hire. I started bringing people onto my team that could support me in areas that I wasn't very strong. And one of those areas is details. So, you know, when I started wholesaling, because I do a lot of wholesaling and that's I saw when I converted my business from flipping to wholesaling back in 2015, 14, maybe late 14, it clicked with me better. And my business among for a lot of reasons that that I've talked about over the, over the several years, but my business took off fast. Okay, so what I realized was that there were certain parts of the business like documentation, paperwork, getting things to the title company. Uh, the title company always comes back with like things that they need from the buyers and from the sellers. And I wasn't great at the follow-up part of that. I wasn't really good at looking at the HUD or looking at the settlement statement and trying to figure out if are the numbers right, like double check the purchase price and the sales price and all the commissions, like is all that right? I wasn't good at all that. So I first person I hired actually 
was someone to help me with that. Someone to come in and sort of make sure all the details were being were being handled. Um, and she was awesome. And then the second person I brought in was my sales guy who eventually became my partner, but I brought him in to do sales for me. Um, and so building that team out was the first steps that I took. The second step that I took or the second thing that I had to really get under control was knowing my numbers. I didn't track numbers for the first handful of years that I was in business. And by track numbers, I mean my metrics. Like, what am I spending on marketing? How many calls am I getting? How many leads am I getting? How much money am I spending on rehabs? Are, are the quotes coming in at the end of the project? Did the quote match the end uh, budget? Like, were we on budget? Were we on time? Um, I just wasn't tracking a lot of that stuff. I wasn't even like, I just didn't have my numbers down. And what I realized was after being in business for a while and getting some mentors and people that helped me is that if you don't, most companies go out of business because they don't know their numbers. That's one of the key factors that will drive most companies out of business is they just don't know their numbers. So I had to learn my numbers and all of the stuff, hiring, hiring effectively, how to be a good leader, knowing my numbers, it all came from getting coaching and mentoring. Um, I'm a huge fan and, and it's, it's, I, I'm a coach and a mentor. So you can believe me or not, but I'm telling you, I was in this business for about five years and I was not, I was not growing and I was not profitable like I should have been. I mean, I was not very, I was not growing much at all, honestly. I was kind of stagnant year over year. And I couldn't quite figure out how to turn the corner and how to make a real business out of the side hustle that I was doing while I was working full time. And it wasn't until I found a coach and a mentor who could help me and show me how to build a business, how to assemble a business. And, and I, I didn't have to start over. I already had somewhat of a business going, but I kind of had to take a step back figure out where I was lacking and then take three steps forward. And it started going very fast. I've, I've shown this many, many times, but I have a, a slide in a presentation that I give that shows this like kind of stagnant, slow, sort of no growth chart. And then all of a sudden it just sort of skyrockets. It goes almost straight up. And right there where it goes straight up, that's where I got coaching and mentoring. That's where I got help in my business because I knew I couldn't just figure it out on my own. I needed someone to help guide me and curate all the information out there on the internet, right? There's a million things out there telling you what to do. And some of them are good and some of them are not. I needed someone who could just be very clear with me and say, this is what I did. And this is the lessons I learned. And this is what I did right. This is what I did wrong. And if you just do these things, you'll be good. <clears throat> and so hiring people, knowing my numbers, um, I got really good at systems and processes and building those inside of my business. I'm not the best at maintaining systems and processes, but that's why I have a team around me. They're good at following that, that structure. I can build the initial structure. And so I had to build that structure out because most people need that structure to be effective and understand what they're supposed to do. And so building out a systems and processes, having repeatable processes, hiring effectively, knowing your numbers, what numbers to track, what numbers are important. These are all things I had to learn from someone who 
was where I wanted to be in business. And so you should always be seeking advice from people who are where you want to be. Um, and if I'm that for you, you should be you should be coming here to this q &A. You should be asking me questions. You should be downloading uh, my direct mail course. Like you should be absorbing the information that I'm putting out there. Um, otherwise, you really shouldn't be listening if you don't think that I had bring value, right? And so I had to trust the people that I put my you know, uh, um, that I wanted to have the business they wanted to have. I needed to trust them. And when they told me, hey, you should really do this, I did it. And so you're asking me what were the first steps? Hiring systems, numbers, but also seeking out people that I wanted information from that I whose opinion I valued and then getting that opinion and then executing. That's the key, right? Executing. I can talk to you till I'm blue in the face. I can tell you everything you need to do to build your business and to scale, but it all just sits there until you pick it up and do something with it. And so I'm really good at execution. That I can do. That that I've always sort of had that skill set. And it's, it's a skill set of action. It's not a skill set of learning. Anyone can be given information. You don't even necessarily have to like work that hard to find information. What, it, what people struggle with is they get the information and they don't implement it. And so you have to implement. It's so important that you don't just take information in. Like people who read a book and then they'll just put it down and they'll forget and then they'll read the next book and they'll put it down and read the next book. Like that's great. But all of those books that you're reading, chances are if you really like did some serious execution, like really went out there and executed like crazy, you could do amazing things. You don't have to read 50 books. You can read one or two and probably get to where you wanna go. Maybe just one, right? So seek out that, that advice, that mentorship, that coaching, someone who can help you understand and they've been there, they've built that company that you wanna build. Seek out their, their advice and then take it and implement. Okay. Let's go on to the next question. All right. Next question. I'm pursuing off-market deals for Burr projects um, instead of the MLS buy and hold strategy I've been doing. Okay, let me read that again. I'm pursuing off-market deals for Burr projects instead of the MLS buy and hold strategy I've been doing. Do you have any advice on identifying trustworthy wholesalers? Um, you know, yeah, there's some stuff you can do to know whether or not your wholesaler is, um, ethical or to put it another way, there's a, there's a, there's a practice out there called daisy chaining and probably a lot of people know what that means. But if you don't, daisy chaining is this, I'm a wholesaler. Okay. In my market. And I find off-market deals all the time. And I sign a purchase agreement with a seller. And then I take that purchase agreement and I sell that agreement to an end buyer, usually a house flipper or landlord. I have my company's name is on the purchase and sale agreement. And then I assign that contract to a buyer for a fee. Okay. So there's like really three parties involved in a typical wholesale transaction. There's the seller, there's the wholesaler, and there's the buyer. What a daisy chainer does is they insert themselves into that transaction without permission. And it might look like this. Okay, I'm a wholesaler. I get a purchase agreement, purchase and sale agreement from a seller. I market it out to my buyers. A daisy chainer sees that marketing piece. 
They take the images and the information, they create their own marketing piece, and they market it out to their buyers uh, where it looks like it's their contract to sell. They try to find a buyer, then they come to me and they tell me they want to buy that property. And they try to they try to orchestrate this transaction with themselves in the middle. And to their buyer, they are representing that they are the wholesaler who has this under contract. And they try to keep this like cloak and dagger thing going without anybody being the wiser. They want me to believe that they're the actual buyer and they want their buyer to think they're the actual seller. So they're being dishonest in a couple of different ways. Um, that's different than being a JV partner, right? You can reach out to somebody like me and say, hey, I see this property you have for sale. I've got some buyers that I think would be interested that may not be on your list. Is it okay if I market your property to them and then they get my permission and I say, yes, you can. But if if that person who comes to buy it is on my buyer's list, I'm not going to give you credit. And you can't change the price of the property. You can't raise it or lower it to your buyers. You have to leave it the same. And you have to make it clear in your marketing that you know, you're you're doing this for somebody else, that you're you're partnering with somebody to bring this opportunity to them. And so we try to keep it all very uh, up and up. So when you're buying from a wholesaler, what you need to ask them, first of all, is if you're interested in the property, say, do you have this under contract yourself? Your company has this under contract directly with the seller. And if they say yes, tell them before you would ever give them a deposit or, or move forward in any way financially, you want to see the original purchase and sale agreement. And that purchase and sale agreement should have the seller's name on it that you can go into like public records and make sure that that's the actual seller's name. You want the seller's name on it. And you want the wholesaler who you're dealing with, their company or their name to be on it. Nobody else. If anybody else's name is on that from the seller standpoint or the wholesaler standpoint, there's a very good chance this person is not being 100% ethical in the way that they're handling their business. So that's one thing you want to do um, to make sure that um, the wholesaler is trustworthy. The fact of the matter is, even a wholesaler who gets a property under contract themselves legitimately, they got it under contract and they're putting it out to their buyers to sell. It doesn't necessarily mean because trustworthy is different a little bit than ethical. And this is kind of splitting hairs, but they can have the property under contract legitimately and ethically, and the, they have the ability to sign it. But does that mean that they are trustworthy? Not necessarily. They could still do some shenanigans. I've seen it before. So the only way you know for sure if a wholesaler is trustworthy is to work with them, is to do transactions with them, get to know them, like build that relationship with them so you know that you have a good sense of the way they do business and that they're ethical and that they're trustworthy. Because the fact of the matter is every industry has people in it who are not trustworthy. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're unethical. And by that, I mean, they might just, you know, you make an offer and they verbally say yes, right? And then somebody else makes an offer and it's a higher, it's a better offer. And so they go with that other person, they kind of just ghost you. Yeah, that's unethical. It also means they're not really trustworthy. It doesn't mean that they didn't legitimately have the ability to sell that contract. They might have, but they just they went with a higher offer and they just didn't handle it the right way. And so, you know, it, that there's a fine line there, and then maybe it's a little bit of a gray area between ethical and trustworthy. Maybe I'm maybe I'm making a distinction that doesn't belong to be there. Doesn't belong there. But I, I think there's a difference between does a wholesaler 
legitimately have a property under contract that they have the authorization and the legal ability to assign versus is this someone I want to work with because they do what they say they're going to do and and they, you know, stand by their word and all that, right? There's it's a little bit it's a it's a little bit different to me. There's there's a difference there. One of them is like completely unethical, they're misrepresenting themselves. And the other person is opportunistic a little bit and maybe maybe you have an agreement to buy a house and they sell it to somebody else because they got a higher offer at the last minute. And so they just sort of blow you off. Like that's crappy, right? But it doesn't mean they didn't have a property to sell. I would say get to know your wholesalers, like reach out to them. Maybe go have coffee with them. Maybe go to their office or just have a conversation with them and get to know them, build that relationship so you have a good sense of them. But at the end of the day, if they have a property that you want and you make an offer and they accept it and they close, like, I, I don't know. Does it beyond that, does it really matter who they are, what they are? I don't, I don't know. That's up to you to decide. It's a personal decision, but you're, you have a business transaction that you're trying to complete. And so I don't know if I necessarily want to know if this guy has ever lied to his family or something. Like, I don't care. It really, I mean, I'm not there to judge people. I'm there to buy properties. So at the end of the day, if you find someone and they seem to have properties under contract and you do some closings and some transaction with them and it all goes through okay, then I guess that's it, right? That's what we're trying to do is buy property. So uh, hopefully that answered your question. I got a little bit on a tangent there. Um, it is actually, it is a 7.30. So I think we're going to stop there. We're going to call it. Um, but guys, listen, I, I, can't, I can't stress this enough. Uh, Marketing is everything. Leads are oxygen in your business. If you don't have leads, then you don't have a business. And so you have to absolutely get your marketing under control. If you're doing direct mail and you're not getting the results you want, or if you're not doing direct mail and you want more leads, and I suspect one of those two things are true. You're either doing it and not loving your responses and you're not loving the results you're getting, or you're not doing it. And that's a, that's really probably something you should correct. Go and grab my course. It's free. You cannot beat that. And I'm telling you, I poured a lot of time and energy and years of knowledge and spending money into this course. And all you have to do to get it is go to my website, mikesimmons.com. If you do forward slash winning direct mail. I'll take you directly there. Uh, but if you just go to mikesimmons.com, there, there's two links on the front page on the top half of the page that you can get there too. So go and grab that. Check it out. It's there for you. I made it with you in mind. Use direct mail if you're not using it. I'm telling you, we're coming into a market where things are changing and you need every strategy that is proven on your side and in your tool belt. So go and do that. Go grab that. I want to see that you get it and you succeed from it. And if you love it, send me an email or respond directly inside the course. You can do that and let me know that you love it. If you don't love it and you have, I mean, if you just want to tell me it's horrible, that's sort of not productive. But if you want to give me suggestions for things that you would have liked to have seen in it, if there's anything in it that you don't, you know, you're not finding that you want, let me know. Give me, shoot a comment in there. Let me know and, and I can add that. So, all right, guys, that's it for tonight. I uh, can't wait to see you next week on Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Until then, go out there and get it done. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.